There's a man who was a missionary to the Native Americans in uh, North America back in the early days of this country. Uh, this man would go to various tribes and preach the gospel. And in one particular tribe, the Indian chief got saved. Um, this man befriended this chief and prayed for this chief and sought to disciple this chief. One day the man's warming himself by the fire. It's late winter, about to be spring, and outside of his, his homestead in, in the front yard and um, out of the woods comes the Indian chief. Um, and in his hands he brought a intricate piece of art that he had spent countless hours making of turquoise and silver. And he walked up to the man and the Indian chief said, um, Indian chief bring gift to his God. And the man, not wanting to discourage his friend and wanting to disciple him and encourage him, um, looked at the man, at the Indian chief and said, not enough. The Indian chief without a word turned and went back into the woods and disappeared for some time. Uh, spring turned into summer, and again the man was outside working in the yard, and the Indian chief arrived out of the woods again without a word, and came up to the man. This time he brought something in his hands that was of intrinsic value to him. Um, this would have been a matter, uh, something that was so important to him, uh, something that he would use on a daily basis both to, um, to fight and to hunt, and this was his bow and arrow. And uh, the man, knowing how much this, this bow and arrow was important to him, um, um, looked at it, and the Indian chief said, um, Indian chief, bring better gift for his God. And the man again looked at him and said, not enough. The Indian chief, again without a word, disappeared into the, the woods. And again, some time had fallen, fall was uh, approaching, and the man was outside again by the fire. This time, the Indian chief came again without a word, and this time he had in his hand something that was extremely special to the Indian culture. Um, in his hand was his, his war blanket, and in this blanket would have been woven a tapestry telling the story of this Indian chief's life of how he rose to the position of chief and um, many accomplishments that he had in his life. And the Indian chief walked up to the man and said, Indian chief bring best gift for his God. And the man again, not wanting to discourage him, looked at the Indian chief and said, not enough. And the Indian chief turned and disappeared into the woods. Finally, winter was approaching again. Uh, the man, again, out, being outside, saw the Indian chief coming, and out of the woods, he appeared with his war bonnet on the top of his head, with, with eagle feathers dripping down on both sides, touching the ground. On upon his chest, he had his wampum of his tribe. And then draped over his back was that very same blanket. And he walked up to the man, who again was warming himself by the fire, and without saying a word, the Indian chief took off the war bonnet and threw it into the fire. He then took off his wampum and threw it into the fire. And again, without saying a word, he took off that war blanket that meant so much to him and threw it into the fire, leaving nothing but his loincloth. And the Indian chief, falling to his knees, said, Indian chief have nothing else to give. Indian chief gives self for his God. And the man turned to him and said, that's enough. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. 
For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who, is, who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. If you could turn also to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, verse 2. And the second part of this verse reads, Thus says the Lord, But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. And two more verses in the book of Psalms 34. Psalms 34 and verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. And the last verse, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I'd like to take a look this evening at the idea of brokenness in the life of a believer. Um, we, as, as a culture, um, don't give much value to broken things. Um, Thinking of my household, um, if we break a plate, it goes in the trash. Um, I have a drawer uh, in my desk full of old, broken cell phones. Um, you think of an old, broken down car that's beyond repair, and we have little to no value for those things. But God desires to use broken things. Um, if you think of the, the various and many illustrations that, that are throughout Scripture of broken things in the Bible, um, we would think of, of Gideon and those pots that had the lanterns inside of them. It wasn't until those pots were broken that the light shone out. Um, we think of when the Lord Jesus was anointed, and we think of that very costly box of perfume. It wasn't until that box was broken that the perfume uh, filled the room. When we think of even the men, God, men and women, God choose or chose to use throughout history, we see broken people. We see young people that didn't have experience, and we see, we see uneducated fishermen. Um, we see widows. We see orphans. God desires to use broken things. Before we move forward, I'd like to just define brokenness. Um, it's a huge topic, and um, what we're going to try to do this evening is just get a bird's eye view of it and, and see and make some applications into our own lives. Um, the word brokenness has many synonyms. Um, humble, contrite, or the opposite of pride. Uh, that word contrite comes up a lot in these verses that we've read this evening. And that word contrite simply means crushed or pulverized. And we're going to look at an example of this this evening. But again, brokenness has this idea of being, and again, being the opposite of prideful. Pride is a sin that we don't judge enough in our lives. Um, I deal at work with uh, some pretty bad people, um, um, working some cases and things with, with murderers and and. and uh, one in particular where they murdered several people, and we would look at them and say, those are the bad guys. That's bad. Mur murder is bad. Robbing people is bad. But when we talk about pride, 
in somebody else's life, we say, oh, that, that guy's just a little prideful. And we kind of shrug it off as acceptable. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, we read that he says, but he, being God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, pride is where sin started. Um, if we look into heaven, we see Lucifer and this fallen angel who was full of pride. And pride, in some ways, is connected to all sin. Um, pride seeks the high road to esteem self and puff up self, where humility and brokenness seeks the low road to build up others. There's various aspects of brokenness, and again, we're not going to cover all of them. We're only going to look at one of them. But I'd like to list, list them, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Various aspects of brokenness, the first being repentance, confession, and apology. Um, that, that repentance, that turning to God from your sin. Um, this is something that, for those in this room that are born again, experience the day that they got saved. Um, repentance, brokenness before God. At the sound of his word, at the sound of the gospel, you turn to God from your sin. Likewise, you also made a confession. You confessed that you too were a sinner. This is illustrated for us in that picture of the, the tax collector in the temple. We have a Pharisee who is very prideful and standing up and, and, and even says in, in, in the word, we won't look for the sake of time, but it says that he prayed um, to himself and he thanked God that he wasn't like this tax collector. Well, this tax collector knew he was a sinner and could barely lift his eyes up to heaven and beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner, but the sinner. Um, he saw himself as being the only sinner in the room. The next aspect of brokenness is, is a restitution for wrong done. Um, t t mending a broken bridge or repaying something that you have taken. Um, there's a story of William P. Nicholson, who was a preacher in Belfast, um, and uh, a revival broke out under the sound of his preaching, not because of him, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But as he was preaching, so many workers in this town were being saved, and, and many of these factory workers, that as they were saved, they went and returned all the tools that they had stolen from the factory. They returned so many tools that the factories had to build warehouses to store all the tools that were returned. And it got to the point where the factory said, stop returning the tools. Um, so many people were repaying what was stolen. Another aspect of brokenness is enduring wrong without retaliating. Um, this is pictured perfectly for us in, in the Lord Jesus, um, who was reviled and did not revile against. Um, the Lord Jesus had, he didn't need to be broken, but was broken um, for us. Um, he was broken out of willingness, but in doing wrong without retaliating, brokenness. Um, repaying evil with good. This story always strikes me. But there's a story of a soldier who was in the, uh, the army barracks, and he, was, uh, he would, uh, as routine, would pray before he went to bed every night at his bunk. And this, uh, this captain of this army um, would walk up and down the barracks checking on his men, and he saw this man praying, and he hated the fact that this man was a Christian, and he kicked him in the face um, as he was praying by his bunk. Well, that very same captain, when he woke up in the morning, woke, woke up to very polished boots at the end of his bed, polished by the same person that, had kicked, that he had kicked in the face the night before. And that man broke under that um, and, and, and received Christ, um, repaying evil with good. 
honoring others above self, um, giving others a, a higher place, um, allowing others to sit in the seat that perhaps we would want to sit in, um, allowing others to go first. Um, this is uh, illustrated for us in a story of R.C. Chapman, where his church that he was asked to be the pastor of um, suffered a, a division, a split. And um, the, the small group that had split, that, that had left the, the chapel there, um, told R.C. Chapman that they wanted to keep the building. Well, R.C. Chapman looked through the, the, the legal papers and, and, and saw that there was no, they had no legal standing to keep the building, but out of, out of love and of preference, he gave the, the, the building to that smaller group and he and the others left, um, honoring others above self. Prompt obedience to the word of God. Um, another aspect of brokenness. This is the opposite of what Jonah did. Jonah was told to go and, and to preach, and he ran. Um, prompt obedience to the word of God. And we will look at some of these illustrations this evening. Another one is death to public opinion. This is illustrated for us in, in the life of William P. Nicholson, who was saved and joined the Salvation Army. And part of joining the Salvation Army, you were forced to wear a sandwich board and walk up and down the, the busy street, um, and the sandwich board read, Death to Public Opinion. Um, again, this, this is an idea of brokenness, of, of not worrying about what the, what the public thinks of you. Keeping your cool in the midst of crisis, another idea of brokenness. When unexpected events come up in our lives, uh, a flat tire on the way to work, um, you know, uh, a phone call from the doctor's office, um, do, we lose, do we lose it or are we broken and, and, and trust God for what he's doing in our life and, and, and see the Lord's plan in it? Brokenness takes place in the heart, and brokenness takes place between us and God. And true brokenness is not fake. Um, you can fake love, um, you can fake your faith, but you can't fake brokenness, because brokenness, true brokenness, um, will, will, will sh the fruits of true brokenness will shine. Um, I have a, a, an illustration of fake brokenness that I had in my life. I was a, a young police officer, still on probation, in, in the Hollywood area. Um, I was given uh, the privileged position of, of being a part of a unit. They got to wear plain clothes and drive around in plain cars uh, looking for bad guys. Um, as we were leaving the station, I was given a, a wanted flyer of this guy that, um, that we were looking for, and he, he was wanted for robbery. Um, he was a bad guy. And uh, the, the senior guy in the unit gave it to me and says, we're going to go catch this guy today. And, and he says, you need to go find him. So I take the flyer, I study it, I look at it, and we begin to drive around. Um, our shift started around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, again in the Hollywood area. Um, so you can imagine the traffic and all the pedestrians that were around. Well, sure enough, I'm driving around, and I see the guy. We had a unit that was with us. They were in a... a you know, uniform in a black and white, and they were the ones that were going to go stop the guy so that he knew we were the police. And I called the men, and they go to stop the guy, and he takes off running and, and, and starts running through buildings and through houses. And so we set up a perimeter, and you guys have seen it on TV, you have the helicopter overhead. Um, just to give you a picture of where this was, it was between Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood at around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We shut down the entire street. Traffic everywhere, people everywhere. Um, we called in the canine, we called in everything, and, and all these resources. And as I'm sitting at the command post, I'm looking at all this stuff that's happening. And this is all because I saw this guy. Um, so the canine officer gets there, and it's this really old lieutenant. And he calls for the guy. He calls for me, and he says, bring the, bring the water flyer so we can get a look at this guy. So I walk up to him. I hand him the flyer. He looks at it, and without saying a word, hands it back to me, but just drops it, doesn't even put it in my hand, and gets on the radio and says, we're out of here. 
and him and his guys and everybody start driving off. And I'm just at a loss. Again, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I pick up the flyer and I look at it and in bold red letters across the picture, it said in custody, meaning this guy had been arrested already. <laughs> well, again, being on probation, being that humble police officer, I said, you know, I'm sorry, it's my fault. But in my heart, I blamed that senior, that senior officer who handed me that flyer. Um, I said, that was his fault. He should have read that. Why did he give it to me? And it was, it was, a, it was a, an example of unbrokenness. I, and to this day, I, it's still hard for me to, to, to break under that because um, I feel it's his fault. But um, <laughs> unbrokenness. The aspect of brokenness I'd like to look at this evening is that of repentance, confession, and apology. <clears throat> Most of the time when we think of of, of brokenness or, or, we, or, or we look at it, um, we focus on the apology. Um, a lot of people are remorseful for being caught in their sin. Um, I spent all last week and the last couple weeks listening to jail calls from this, this one case that we're working of, of guys that were in custody and they're calling their significant others all across the, the country. And, and they're sorry, but they're sorry that they got caught. Um, they're not sorry for what they've done. Or sometimes we go to various conferences or camps and, uh, and we, we hear a convicting message and we're sorry, but it doesn't break us. Apology is the last step in the, the uh, road to brokenness. Repentance. Uh, it was described by a soldier uh, who was asked what does repentance mean? And he said, the Lord said to me, halt, attention, about face, forward march. Um, and that was all there was in it. Um, and this is the idea of repentance. There's three examples I'd like to look at this evening of, of brokenness and repentance. And the first one is in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. All of these are very familiar to us, so we will not spend a great deal of time looking at the context. This first one is illustrated in the life of young King Josiah. Uh, Josiah took the throne at the age of eight, and he inherited a no-win situation. Um, he inherited a broken country that was driven into the ground by his fathers, um, by, their, by their terrible example. They were away from the Lord. Um, he didn't have any godly influences in his life. Um, perhaps he might have witnessed the deathbed conversion of his, of his uh, grandfather Manasseh. Um, but all in all, he's eight years old, and he's inheriting this, this kingdom that's, um, that's in bad shape. Um, on top of all that, he's eight years old. He's extremely young. And where do, where do we see him turn? Um, where does he turn to for help? Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to pursue or to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and made, and, and the incense altars, which were above them, he cut down and the wooden images, and the carved images, and the molded images. And he broke in pieces and made dust of them. As you recall, we looked at and read several verses in the beginning speaking of contrition and, and, and what a contrite heart looks like. This is illustrated for us in this verse. Contrition is this idea of being crushed or broken 
to the point of dust. And this is what Josiah does as he takes the throne. Um, he seeks the Lord, the God of his father David. Um, and he begins to remove these high places, places of, of um, idol worship, of Baal worship, and, and he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all these things. Again, not spending too much time in, in the context of this, but the application uh, being applied to us, um, what are modern-day idols in our lives? What are high places that are places of worship that we go to, um, places that we look to and spend a lot of time there? Um, anything that comes in between you and God can be an idol. Um, it could be something that in itself isn't bad. A hobby, uh, friends, family, work, and you fill in the blank. Sometimes your own abilities become high places in your life. Um, you think of the, the past victories that you've had or the past situations where you figured it out. And so in the next time, what do you do? You lean upon your own understanding. And, and these become, you, you lean upon your strengths and abilities. And, and instead of being dependent upon the one who, who holds all things together, um, there's an example in, of, of King Asa in the same book in, in chapters 15 and 16. And we won't look to it for the sake of time, but uh, this king started well, uh, King Asa. He tore down the images of the, the high places and the, the places of worship and the idols, and he told Jerusalem to, or Judea, Judah to turn back to God, and he started well. But then later in life, he depended upon his own skills and abilities. Um, he, instead of relying upon the Lord, who had won a great victory uh, against the Ethiopians, he decides to sign a treaty with Syria and to lean upon their strengths and abilities. Um, and then even later in life, as he became sick and ill in his feet, it says this, and we'll look at this verse, um, chapter 16 and verse 12 of 2 Corinthians. Chronicles, sorry. Yeah, Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 2, or 12, 12. It says, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, I don't read this to say that you shouldn't go to the doctor. Um, we see doctors being used throughout scripture. Luke himself was a physician, um, and we should use the doctor. But when we completely depend upon the doctor and the test results, I think sometimes we forget the one who holds our atoms together, um, who holds our very being together. Um, he is the one that's in control, um, not the doctors. Um, so you should go to the doctors, but depend upon the Lord um, and lean upon it and trust upon him. At work, oftentimes officers uh, depend upon their training and their skills and abilities. Um, some officers are really good at shooting, some officers are really good at fighting, and they have this macho mentality going into every situation, like, I got this. Um, and we open, we read the newspaper every morning of, of officers being killed, um, of being shot, of being uh, in terrible situations. Um, we should depend upon our training. We, we, should, we should, you know, train and, and, and use these things. But, and this, I was reminded of this this last week, when the Lord Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's coming down, and he comes down, and there's turmoil at the bottom of the mountain. Um, uh, the disciples are in a sticky situation. They're unable to cast out this demon. Um, this, there's a really upset father. And, and the, the Lord Jesus comes, and he, and, he, and he takes care of the situation. And the disciples are, are, are scratching their heads, and they're wondering, why weren't we able to do what you just did? Um, we've, been, we've been casting out demons this whole time. Why this one? And, and the Lord Jesus responds, these kind only come out by prayer and fasting. And what the Lord Jesus was doing is he was taking their attention off of their selves, their own abilities, their own strengths, 
and their own past victories and refocusing them on the Lord, the one who is in control of these things in these situations. Um, so these can become high places in our lives. These, these can, can become places of worship. And, and idols and, and false worship, that's Satan's business. Um, Satan likes to do three things um, to everyone. He likes to distract, discourage, and dissuade. And he does this in the life of believers. Um, he distracts us by getting our focus off the Lord Jesus. He discourages us by, and we see this in the life of Job, of sometimes things coming into our lives, and he uses those things to discourage us and to drive us deeper. And he also dissuades us. Um, did God really say you couldn't eat of the tree? Um, and this is Satan's business. Um, and uh, it was something that I wrote down several years ago, but it's, it, it, I wrote, or, I wrote it in my Bible, it says, don't let the things of this world hinder you from worshiping and serving the God who is out of this world. Um, don't let these things become an idol in your life and tear them down. Um, turn back to chapter 34 and thinking of Josiah <clears throat> and thinking of the, of the things that God uses to break us. Now, if you remember, Josiah took the, 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 the throne at, at the age of eight not having these godly examples in his life, um, we could say that Josiah in some ways was in ignorance of these things. Um, in, in chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, um, in verse 14, it says, uh, verse 14 through 18, it says, Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law that was given by Moses. We'll stop there. <clears throat> Things that God uses to break us. Um, here, they find the word of God. And where was it hidden? It was hidden in the house of God. Um, what a place to look for it. Um, and, and what a place to find it. And in verse 15, it says, Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphim the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphim. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money and was found, that was found in the house of the Lord and had delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes and in verse 20, then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, Adon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, a sermon of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those, for those who are left in Jerusalem and in Judea concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in it. In Josiah's life, God used the word of God to break him. Um, he found the word of God in the house of God. Um, there was brokenness before the Lord at the sound of his word. <clears throat> this is a, a sad testimony for the, for the state of the kingdom, the fact that um, this wasn't read, uh, this book was lost. But it's a good testimony for Josiah that at the first sound of the reading of this book, his heart was broken before the Lord. And oftentimes we've sat and, and read our Bibles on countless occasions, and God has put his finger on certain things in our lives. Um, and do we break at these things, or do we simply go and turn the page and pass that verse? Um, God used the word of God to break Josiah. Uh, that verse we read earlier in Isaiah 66 says, But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. And are we a people that tremble at the word of God? Um, do we take every page, every word of this book, as though it is the, the very spoken word of God? Um, Josiah is an example to us of one who is broken by the word of God out of ignorance. 
The next example we're going to look at very quickly is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is a very popular uh, or a familiar story. I shouldn't say popular, but it's a very familiar story to us. Um, many of us, uh, and, and as we've been uh, studying in the Wednesday night Bible study of King David and his, his, his accomplishments and his victories, but also he's had some low places um, in his life. And this is definitely a low place in his life. We'll just read the first couple verses of chapter 11. It said, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David, was sent, uh, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her, to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 6, and we, the first part of this, this chapter talks about the sin of David. Um, it opens up with the sin. Um, it opens up with the fact that kings should have been in battle. Um, it was springtime, um, but we don't see David going with uh, where he should be. Um, he, in turn, stays at home, and he's up on his roof, and he looks and sees Bathsheba bathing. Now, the look in itself was not the sin. Um, oftentimes, we are, we are presented things in this world that flash across our vision. And, and by simply having our eyes open and seeing these things, those things in and of themselves are not the sin. But it's what David did with the look that became the sin. Um, it was the decision to act upon that look. And so we know the, the rest of the story of the cover-up. Um, David calls Uriah back from battle. Um, he, te he gets him, uh, tells him to go to lay with his wife, um, Uriah being a, a, a man of valor, um, and knowing that his troops are back out there fighting, um, did not want to uh, partake, and, and, and instead slept at the king's, uh, uh, in front of uh, David's palace. Um, and Uriah, and David again would try to get him drunk, and he would not go, and finally, David sends Uriah with his death sentence in hand to battle, um, and we know what happens then. Uh, uh, Uriah is then murdered, and murdered um, to cover up the sin of David. Um, sin is a slippery slope. Uh, in James 1.14 it says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And this is what happened with David. He was drawn away by those desires and enticed. Then when it is conceived, when the act is, 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 is done, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Um, death in the life of Uriah, and then death in the life of that young boy um, that the Lord um, took from David, um, uh, the, the, the fruit of, uh, or, or the, the, uh, the son of Bathsheba. <clears throat> David in, in chapter, or in, in chapter 12, God sends Nathan to send a message to David, and he uh, paints a very pointed, um, uh, gives him a very pointed illustration of a shepherd and, and his sheep, and this one sheep uh, who he loved as, as a pet. He was a member of the family, um, and this, this, this wealthy neighbor who had plenty of sheep um, takes that, that one man's sheep, kills it, and offers it to his family to eat. Um, David was enraged by this. Um, he was angry at this. David, having the heart of a shepherd, knew what sheep meant to people, and David was angry. And Nathan pointed the finger at David, and, and David, again, saying, I want this man's head. Uh, bring him to me. And, and Nathan pointed to him and said, you are that man. Um, and this broke David. 
Um, and from this, um, we have Psalm 51 that we read earlier. From this situation, uh, the brokenness that took place in David's life over sin, things that God uses to, to, to break us. He used the word of God in the life of Josiah, and in here, he uses a man of God in the life of David. Um, how many messages have we heard? Um, how many conferences have we been to? Um, how many times has God put his finger on a sin that's in your life? And how many times have we tried to cover it up? Um, and and, and, and tried, to, tried to hide from it. Um, David broke under the sound of this. Um, he could have hardened his heart and, and refused to, to, to break, um, but he broke before the Lord, um, and he cried out to his God. Um, in Numbers 32, 23, it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Um, it doesn't matter how long. Um, it doesn't matter what you've done. Your sin will find you out. Um, <clears throat> brokenness. Um, realizing who we've sinned against. Um, in, in Psalm 51, this psalm that David wrote of this situation, David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, speaking to God. Now, David had sinned against a lot of people in this situation. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. Um, he had sinned against the people. Um, he had sinned against a lot of people in this situation. But David knew that it was ultimately a sin before his God um, that he had committed. And do we look at sin like that um, when we look at it? Um, do we look at it as a sin before God? <clears throat> um, just because we've, we've, we, we're broken because of our sin doesn't mean there won't be any consequences. Um, I often tell the, young, the, the high schoolers, um, you can choose your choices, but you can't choose your consequences. Um, and, and, and this is true in, at work with all these guys that are going to jail. Um, you can choose to do whatever you want, but you cannot choose your consequences. Um, who loses in a life that is unbroken? Um, you lose. Um, you lose. Uh, your family and, and the people around you lose. Um, I think of these, these men and women that get thrown in jail every day, and again, listening to these jail calls and hearing them pour out to each other, um, the mom, the wife, the, the, the kid that's not going to see their dad again, um, they lose because of their parents' sins. Um, and who loses when we sin? Um, who loses when we're not broken before the Lord? Um, <clears throat> David is an example to us of one who was broken um, because of sin committed against man, against God. And the last one we'll just reference is, is Jonah. Jonah, and, and we spent time here in this assembly studying Jonah, so we won't uh, spend a lot of time uh, talking about it, but Jonah was a runaway prophet. Um, and most, most focus, when they look at the story of Jonah in the, uh, in the Bible, they focus on Jonah, they focus on the big fish, or they focus on Nineveh. Uh, the purpose of the book of Jonah is to show the lengths that God will go to save man. Um, how far will he go to save a runaway prophet? How far will he go to save a boat full of sailors? How far will he go to save a, a wicked and vile city? Um, and he goes at great lengths to do these things. Um, and what did God use in Jonah's situation to break him? Well, God used a very unconventional um, item, uh, a giant fish. Um, we went fishing just the other day. Um, with the assembly or with the chapel here, and uh, it was a mixed bunch. Um, I did not catch any, uh, anything near this fish. It was, I, I think, if you look at a picture, I caught a very small fish. Uh, but but I, from what I understand, there's big fish in the ocean. Um, and God used a big fish and, and a storm and a wind and a worm and a plant to get Jonah to a breaking point. Um, things that God uses to break us. Uh, Jonah knew the word of God. And we see this in, in his prayer in the belly of the fish, a beautifully woven tapestry of the Psalms. Um, he knew the word of God. He too was a prophet. He was a man of God. God spoke directly to him. Um, and so, but what does he use in Jonah's situation? He uses a big fish. 
He uses the storms of life to get uh, uh, Jonah's attention. Um, Jonah is an example to us of one broken um, because they're running away from God. Um, could that be someone in this room? Uh, could that be someone that the Lord has put your finger on, on the sin in your life, and now, instead of just covering it up, you've decided to turn and run from God, run from his presence, and, and to be unbroken. It wasn't until Jonah was in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the ocean that he realized his need to be broken. I'd like to close by sharing a, a, a personal example of this. And this is something uh, that, is, that is not humorous. It's not funny. Um, it's very embarrassing. Um, and it's the reason why I'm sharing this. Um, Um, I've known Tori for uh, 14 years. We started dating in high school um, in our senior year. And um, we started dating, and after high school, uh, continued dating, and, and things got more and more serious. And, and eventually, um, you guys know the rest of the story, we, we got in, engaged um, after I, I got out of the academy. Um, and, and then we got married when I got off probation. And there was something that I, that I had hidden from her uh, for 14 years. And it was a sin that was in my life that was not confessed. And it took a long time before I confessed it before the Lord. But sometimes it's easy to confess before the Lord. Uh, we know how gracious God is. Um, and, and sometimes I feel like uh, because he's not... We don't see him physically. It's easy to just to, to say a prayer and to confess things to God. Um, so I had confessed it before the Lord. Um, he had gotten a hold of me um, before we met, and, and he broke me of this. But I didn't want to confess it to Tori. That sin that went unconfessed was a cancer in my life that that affected every aspect of my life. There were days that I could hide it. There were days that I could cover it up and, and act and pretend and um, put on a good show. But it, it affected every aspect of my life, my thought life, um, sleepless nights. And then eventually it began to affect my attitude um, towards her, towards other people. And the reason why I was looking at this, this idea of brokenness and the things that God uses uh, to break people um, is what God used to break me uh, was the, um, uh, the statement of a five-year-old boy. Um, again, putting on this show in front of people and loving my wife with all my heart but then because of the sin that was in my life that was unconfessed, unbroken, unrepentant of um, to her, um, it affected the way I treated her. And Drake said, um, How, why is it that dad treats mom so bad and other people so good? And that crushed me. And I can say today, that our marriage is the best it's ever been. Um, um, my wife is a spiritual giant in my life. Um, and I had an actual feeling of Pilgrim's Progress, of a burden being rolled off my shoulder, and it was physical. I could feel it. And it took 14 years. In this assembly, we're seeing things that have gone unbroken. Uh, 
sin against brother against brother, family against family. And so I ask this evening, what is God going to use to break you? He used a five-year-old boy for me. He used the word of God for Josiah. He used um, men and women of God throughout every other situation. Um, God desires to use broken things. And why is that? We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And it, he uses it for his honor and for his glory. God desires to use broken people, emptied of self, ready to be filled by him. And God uses various ways to break us. Brokenness leads to worship. And brokenness leads to revival. I want to close by reading what we read at the very beginning. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this evening for the Lord Jesus Christ, for one who was broken, broken and crushed so that we might never be broken or crushed, so that we might never be forsaken. Father, we are thankful for the examples that we have in Scripture of men and women who were broken before God, broken at the sound of your word, broken at the things that you've used um, time and time again. Father, we pray for a spirit of brokenness to be poured out upon this assembly. Brokenness of sin, of unconfessed sin. Father, we pray that, that repentance would take place, confession would take place, and apology would take place. Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you that you desire to use broken things. And Lord, we ask that you would show us what it is in our lives. Father, that you would put your finger on the things that we've been hiding for so long that we've yet to forsake, that we've yet to, to break before you. And Father, we pray that we would break before you before you have to break us. Father, help us, we pray, both as, as an assembly and as in individuals, give us strength, Lord. Father, empty us of self and fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.